Hey, this is Tyler Murphy, and you're listening to the Lonely Painter Podcast. And this week on the show, we have a special guest host. My friend Claire Overholt interviews Daniel Keyes. Claire helps me run the Story Night event once a month here in Billings, and she and I are actually starting a new podcast in which she and I will interview different people that have been a part of the of the Story Night community, and we plan on uh, releasing that here shortly. We're we're trying to figure out a few last minute technical things uh, to get that podcast out, but hopefully by next week I'll be able to tell you exactly where you can find those if you're interested. And so Claire and Daniel uh, met each other while Daniel was here. They hit it off. And so I asked Claire if she'd be interested in interviewing Daniel. And I've already interviewed Daniel lots of different times. And so it was really fun to leave the room and then come back here a couple days later, edit all of this together and uh, hear what they had to say while I was out of the room. So please enjoy this guest hosted episode of the Lonely Painter podcast with Claire Overholt interviewing Daniel Keyes. Dan, yeah, you and I don't know each other that well yet. We spoke for the first time I mean, other than a couple the nights ago. Check I've done on you. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, great. Well, we can skip ahead to some <laughs> real shit. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, but I mean, at the very least, you're friends with Tyler and I'm friends with Tyler. So we're also just like two mutual friends of a person getting to know each other better. But I did come up with, you know, it's ex- it's always exciting for me to meet my friends' friends. And there's always things I'd want to know about them anyways. Mm-hmm. So aside from like interviewing you as an artist on a art and thought focused, you know, podcast episode, there's just things I want to know about you in general, being someone that's important to a friend. So cool. I like that. Yeah. So I do have a few things, but, um, that I'm curious about, but other than that, but we have to wait for Tyler to leave the that. room. Yeah. Till. Okay. I'm yeah. out of here. Bye. You guys have fun. I'll Bye. be back with pizza in a sec. Okay. Thank you guys. This is this is fun for me. Just you guys. I'm so glad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything should be good to go. Alright, see you guys. Okay. And he's probably not going to edit any of, any of it. <laughs> I know. Oh, I thought I turned that thing off. Oh. We're just gonna make all kinds of terrible noise for his podcast. Didn't say that's what you get. It is in red, so I hope it's recording. What has to be read? Well, this little light thing is on here on the microphone. I don't know if that matters. Yeah, sometimes it's blue. Now it's red. What are you looking at? This color is red. Oh, oh. I don't know. But it's registering the sound. It's like noticing that sound is being made. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Back in. Time in. Okay. So, the other night you were telling me a little bit about how you and Tyler met um, uh-huh. and I first heard like the story of your friendship at a show that Tyler had a few months ago called Bridge and so right. the two of you connecting was as like your story was a really good fit under that theme right it sounded like Tyler sent you a Facebook message <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. to reach out he did like yeah. a cold call yeah, yeah. And, and I I actually had forgotten about that until that day or the day before when we were preparing for the show and some of our friends had come into town and we were all hanging out and I think Tyler had mentioned it and so that's when I thought you know I never delete Facebook private messages because they just get buried under whatever however many else there are Mm -hmm. and so I thought I should look it up and see if it's still there and sure enough there it was. Yeah. Yeah, I still have it. I have all of all of the uh, interactions. Oh, the first messages. Yeah. <laughs> That's so yeah. Fun. He's super embarrassed by them, so I won't I won't <laughs> share them publicly, right but afterward if you want to read them. <laughs> yeah, while well, he's still gone. Happily share them with you. That, or forward them to you. That is excellent. Yeah, that's a funny thing of us having a digital history of every piece of communication right it's online um and you were saying that it's like 
I mean, it didn't stand out to you too much then either? Or what did you think about it? Because I remember Tyler's point of view of the story was, she was like, I'll just reach out and just see if this guy wants to, like, connect more, sort of. Um, And then, I don't know, did did it register for you that much? Or was it one that got buried? uh, I do get a lot of messages from people just in general some i mean i'd say a large majority of them are just random questions that have already been answered and even people who email me they get an automated response i don't even uh, i do see a lot of the emails but they get this automated response that directs them to a frequently asked questions page and i know that Mm -hmm. makes me sound like horrible person but you know when you get that many you can't answer all of them and especially when they're things that you've already answered and they Mm -hmm. can find the information that they need yeah um but with his initial email or or message um i i probably read it but just didn't get around to responding to Mm -hmm. it and then the second one, uh, I forget what the gap of time was, but probably a few months, uh, he sent another just brief message saying that he would be attending one of my workshops that was coming up. So he would be a student in one of the workshops. And so at that point, I responded because I'm, I'm going to be meeting this person. Yeah. And so I just said, okay, great looking forward to meeting you or something like that. And then I looked on his um, profile page, Mm -hmm. you know, to see who he was. And then I have this uh, tendency when there's, um, particularly if there's someone young and, uh, you know, a fellow young painter in a workshop, I kind of want to know what they're about and and Mm -hmm. what they're doing. Not to exclude the more general demographic, which is older but just mm-hmm. because I'm so interested it's so rare that someone like has an established hit. body that you can check out body of work no no it's just rare that there's someone that would have been his age at the time oh, I see in gotcha. a workshop and so gotcha. it just kind of fascinates me I guess a little bit and then that's how I've made most of my friends um, just because mm-hmm. they've taken my workshops and they they stand out a little bit mm-hmm you were saying you sort of like took him under your wing a bit, like at that workshop. Yeah, well, you he were was like, there oh, by. I sort of remember this guy. Yeah, he was there by himself, and like I said, the general uh, demographic of a workshop are people slightly more mature and established in life, and they kind of have their own. They they take workshops. They know the ropes. They mm-hmm. you know they have this sense of kind of just knowing how it all works. And uh, he was there by himself. I don't know that he had taken many workshops before. And so I, I, and he had reached out ahead of time, so I already knew he was going to be there. So, yeah. um, my friends were also in town, uh, in the same place, teaching in the same school, and we would be hanging out. So I would invite Tyler along to to join us, just to meet the other artists, and yeah. we got along really well. So it just sort of was a good fit. Yeah, and evolved from there too. Lots more like intentional trips together. <laughs> well, for painting and funny like thing that. is, um, I was not. I am an outgoing business person. Mm-hmm. I'm. I've learned to be an outgoing person in general mm-hmm. because that's not really how I was, and so after the workshop and hanging out with him all week, getting to know him a little bit, enjoying his company. He had, uh, I forget what the amount of time that had passed, but at some point he had emailed or something and wanted to come visit mm-hmm. California. He wanted to drive and go on a road trip on his own and then maybe meet up where I was in California. No kidding. And so I had never done anything like that before. I had never had someone who I didn't know very well come visit Mm -hmm. or hang out with them or anything like that. So it was sort of like me trying to get out of my own comfort zone by saying yes. Yeah. So like on the phone, I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. And then, (laughs) you know, inside I'm thinking, I don't even know this person, you know. And that was not unusual for him, but very unusual for me. Mm -hmm. So I'm super glad that I, I did it. 
because I made a friend, but then it, it helped me come out of my shell a little bit too. Yeah. 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 Had anyone even asked you that before? Well, I, so people before. had or people mention it so casually because mm-hmm. I think that's normal, mm-hmm. but I myself had never done, you know, anything like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, other, I have other friendships that that has happened where someone has invited me to come stay or come do something. I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't know you. Yeah. I don't think so. And But, like, over time, just trying to, to be more, um, I don't know, to be friendlier, mm-hmm. I guess. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad I did. And, and he came out to California. And we spent um, a little over a week together, I think. Wow. Yeah, we spent three or four days in Yosemite, mm-hmm. painting Yosemite. And then we drove through where I live in Central California, the valley, and uh, on our way to uh, the central coast. So Monterey, Carmel, and we so stayed in Carmel beautiful. Highlands. Yeah, I know, it's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, cool. What a fun trip. I love that you two get to see, like, those iconic parts of the country through, you know, this new friendship, too. Like, right. Montana right. goes west coast. <laughs> right, yeah. And at that Mountain west. time, I had not been to Montana yeah. at all. And all of my travel has been, or up until then, had been west coast or east coast. So mm. nothing that in wasn't the middle. Touching an ocean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Nice. So he can't, he, him coming to California was sort of like my backyard, you know, mm-hmm. showing him Yosemite and showing him, um, I grew up going to the, going to Monterey and Carmel yeah. and stuff. So it was all really familiar to me and it was a lot of fun, uh, fun little, fun little stories and stuff. Yeah, too. I bet. And that's kind of a big risk to say yes to like a stranger. It's a funny thing to think about making friendships when you're older you know when you're in your 20s and 30s and later past opportunities that are given to you those structures like school or college that set you up to be in the same place with people like or even in a work environment I think most I think the average person they have their family Mm -hmm. they have work friends and maybe a couple of friends if they're fortunate that have lingered from mm-hmm. their childhood, mm-hmm. and that's far more typical because those things seem to facilitate relationships. I was home educated. Oh, you were. Mm-hmm. And uh, didn't go, didn't attend any university or anything like that. Self-taught as an artist, and so, you know, all of it was really new mm-hmm. to me. Just making friends in general. Yeah. So those social setups that I was just mentioning of being right. in a place with other people automatically were right. exactly. like not something you were ever a part of. Exactly. How did you make friends when you were younger then? I didn't. You didn't? <laughs> <laughs> and it's not because I was, didn't have opportunity, but uh, because we, we always attended a large church. We mm-hmm. uh, belonged to a large homeschoolers group. So my, okay. my siblings had friends. I just didn't find anyone as weird as I am. <laughs> Uh, with whom I could bond or feel connected to. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big thing. Yeah. Cool. We can tell Tyler that he is weird enough to be a friend. Well, I, hopefully I'm not as awkward now as I was as, as a child. But my yeah. interest did not lie in anything that would have been considered conventional. So mm-hmm. I didn't find... I'm sure if I tried harder or if I had some sort of direction, I would have been able to make lasting friendships but sure. I was much more interested in the things I was doing than people and I'm guessing one of those things was painting well uh eventually yeah but okay. just art in general gardening oh I probably could have made friends with a lot of the you know little older people but <laughs> uh no. which are cool friendships to have too absolutely absolutely uh but at that time it was it was you were about the activity. Yeah, it just wasn't cool. It wasn't anything anyone my age was remotely interested mm-hmm. in. And uh, we, Tyler and I were talking about it today. I could have... Um, I wasn't using those things to compensate for a la- lack of friendship. Sure. It was more so that I, I apparently didn't feel like changing enough in order to have 
the friends I could have mm-hmm. had, I yeah. stuck with, for whatever reason, I stuck with what I liked. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. sounds like that's what you were drawn to. That's what you mostly wanted to spend your time with yeah. anyways. Yeah. I definitely, yeah. at that time, wanted friends. I would have liked to have had some. Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, I would lay awake at night, want to, you know, like, I really would love to have someone you know some friends and so it was hard but um I look back on it now apparently I didn't want it enough to change myself yeah 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 that's telling yeah and now you have quite a substantial group of friends right right. and a lot of Instagram followers you're like the Ariana Grande of painters (laughs) for anyone that doesn't know Daniel I used to be the Josh Groban of painters oh that's Cool. I like the area. Uh, I mean, area just in terms of like lots awesome. of followers, like just lovable. I don't know. Oh. It's, I think, um, you have, I was kind of doing a cursory search of artists on Instagram and how many followers they have. And there were a lot of like top name painters and you had more people than them, which hmm. obviously number of Instagram anythings does not automatically <laughs> equal success no, or anything, but it does no. say something that, like, you've made a name for yourself in the sure. art world, both, like, in, I think, the, you know, like, the studios, the physical mm-hmm. places that have always been around, but then in these digital places now, too. Yeah. Um, and so much of your feed is flowers and you have a hat right now yeah what do you think what is it is okay can i touch it because it looks like the texture part it is velvety so it is uh so we went to tyler uh his mom makes jewelry she has a jewelry company and so she has this very large um shop now and so we went over there they needed help moving stuff and so tyler and i went and helped unload a U-Haul truck for, you know, it, w- it was great. Uh, but anyway, so we went into her shop. She wanted to show it to me, and I saw that this hat, which is clearly a woman's hat, because <laughs> it has roses all over it, yeah. um, but it's also kind of a velvet-type texture. Right. So it is very much a a lady's hat. And um, But I told Gail, I said, I would totally wear that. She said... <laughs> You would? I said, oh, yeah, you know, roses, that's my thing. She's like, you can, if you will wear it, you can have it. Aww. And so she gave it to me, so oh, I did. Oh, that's such a sweet gift. Yeah, and yeah. I thought, I debated, am I brave enough to wear this? And yeah, I definitely am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, I didn't think for a second, actually, that it looks too feminine or anything. Oh, it fits oh, you. It fits oh, good. you. And why roses? Why do... Why are they... The subject of so many of your paintings, like, I mean, you just right. said you had a gardening interest when you were younger, but yeah, why roses? Yeah, I, um, I just have always liked flowers, period. Yeah. And then, but for as long as I can remember, um, I, I was such, I must have been such a strange child. <laughs> I need to call my parents after this. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there was, there's no, there's no rhyme or, or reason mm-hmm. that, that I'm aware of other than as for as long as I can remember. Hmm. If I saw a rose bush, I was going to go look at this and study it and, yeah. and just be very happy being around it. Cool. Yeah. For as long, I mean, my earliest memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not that I, I guess... I'm not it, I'm not only interested in that particular flower. It's just that that one is um, it's easy to come by. It's beautiful. Everybody recognizes it. It's got a lot of variety. Yeah. Um, but I definitely have grown lots of things, and and I like all of them. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I was curious because you know some people gravitate towards landscape paintings. Um, like right. a lot of the art at Montana Gallery is Western landscape. Right. Some people love to do portraits. Right. And you've gone to the subjects of flowers. Right. And yeah, and it's not a cool um, subject. It's not uh, even still life, which I primarily paint with, with the flowers. Um, that was not, when I started to do it, it was not the cool thing 
to do. Everybody wanted to do portraits and figures. Hmm. And even now they still do. But there are more roses being painted than there used to be. <laughs> and uh, because, um, not only because of me, surely, but I, I do feel I've contributed to that. Mm-hmm. You know, just sort of, if you do anything well, I think people will notice and yeah. I think others will, will, they'll follow. Yeah. Yeah. That was another one of the um, questions that I thought of was talking about like the following that you have and that, you know, even if it's subtle to you or something like an increase in floral subjects and art, like you're leaving a mark on the art world. Um, how does one make it as an artist? Like, so if someone wants to make their living pursuing their craft, like whether that's a freelance writer mm-hmm. or a musician or something, like what does it take to be a self-made artist and to yeah, like not have your parents say, you're not going to like do anything, <laughs> like, you're not, not going to make a living or whatever. Like, yeah. Well, what have you found? my first question to that question is... What it what does it mean to make it? Mm-hmm. And that question is meant um, as something that every individual would have to answer for themselves. Yeah. So what does it mean to be successful? What is your definition of success? And everyone has to decide, you know, what that what that is for themselves because yeah. success for me, maybe a certain amount of money or a certain amount of notoriety that's not the same for the next person. Some people can live on very little. So then to be successful as an artist requires only this much. Right. Uh, Or someone who is used to a certain level of living or a certain lifestyle, perhaps Mm -hmm. it will be more difficult for them to get there um, by means of being an artist. Yeah. by a, a painter or a writer or a dancer or whatever. So the first thing is to decide what do you want out of life? Mm-hmm. Uh, what what mean what um, is most important to you? And hopefully money is a little further down on the <laughs> list than um, it is for many people. Mm-hmm. Because you can make you can make lots of money as an artist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, many of my friends and I make just as much as doctors and lawyers. Hear that, liberal arts majors? There's hope for us. <laughs> well, but so it, it depends. You know, that, that's not to say that everyone will do that or everyone can do that. I think you really have to take a lot of time to think about what you really want out of life. What you, not just what you want out of it, but what you feel you can bring to the mm, table. Mm-hmm. What, what could you specialize in? What, what makes what you do different or needed or wanted? Um, so many of these questions have to go into it. And so everyone should be treated as an individual. And um, I was fortunate that my parents were so supportive. Part of that, though, I say this, I'm sure much to their chagrin, is that they were not educated in art. They're highly educated in other things, but... Art was not one of those. So there was never a thought that, oh, can you make a living at this? Well, we were poor anyway. Hmm. So it wasn't like, I mean, you know, you could just live and make an average living as an artist and that would have been successful. So everyone has different needs and different wants. But um, I don't know. I think for, for me... It was not a question because being an artist wasn't an option. Really? Yeah. So, seven-year-old Daniel in the garden did not picture that, like, you would be an artist growing up. No, no, no. That's not what I mean. Oh. I mean, um, so I, I'm wording that incorrectly. I mean that there, it wasn't something that I could choose to be or not to be. Uh, it, I feel that, for me, art is not just what I do but being an artist is who I am okay so whether I'm painting or not I'm still an artist Mm. so 
It was never an option not to Right, see. right. That's <laughs> gotcha. what I meant. Yeah, like it just wasn't an optional thing. It was not... It was always right. going to It be. wasn't this... Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't remember it necessarily being... It, it Like you you just are artistic. Hmm. And it shows up in everything. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that you're special. I just mean that there's there are certain vocations or there are certain it's like almost like a personality type hmm. um and anyone who walks into my house you know even if they didn't see a painting they would just assume that there's some kind of creative type hmm. perhaps um who lives there yeah i think and those creative types that want to pursue that major part of themselves like you're saying individuality helps in that and like learning what it is that you can contribute to that art world. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> yeah, and I mean don't be in don't don't go into that field unless you unless you're willing to do without and willing to uh, work really hard. It's not going to be easy, um, but it's not impossible either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you an arts major? I studied environmental studies and English in college. So I got a a BS and a BA. The English was mostly for fun. Okay. Sort of a thing that I've also always been drawn to growing Mm -hmm. up was like reading. Mm -hmm. Um, So an English major was very exciting because I could get my degree by just being in classes with other people who wanted to talk about books. Right. And that was really right. fun. The reading for me is more enjoyable than the writing. I love to write, but it's really hard. It's okay. really hard to write. Um, sure. But I am always curious about, like, people who create. Um, okay, here's a question that I'm really excited about. So there's a quote that I came across a few years ago, um, or an idea more, uh, by Elizabeth Gilbert, who, like, wrote Eat, Pray, Love, which is fine. But, like, she gave a TED Talk about creativity, and she was pointing out sort of, like, the evolution of how art and artists have been seen in Western thought over the Mm -hmm. past um, several millennia. And she was saying that it used to be that, you know, painters, poets were thought of as people who were inspired by the divine, that they had like a muse that was speaking to them. And mm-hmm. so whatever they produced wasn't exactly their product, but it was coming to them from something bigger than themselves. Mm-hmm. And then there was a shift where what artists created was from the individual genius of each artist. And so mm-hmm. the onus and the brilliance of any created work was because of that individual rather than something bigger. Mm-hmm. And that it shifted, you know, for artists to kind of like be more critical of themselves and other people to be more critical of artists. And mm-hmm. that maybe that limits creativity because you're like putting that pressure on yourself. But also, you know, it's there's a relationship there where like art and a lot of artists will say like it just comes through me, like especially poets, you know, like it. I don't know where these words come from, but they they come to me. Sure. And I just, it is a fascinating thing to me to think of like creatives in that way and people who are pursuing this as their main um, life's work or a big part of their life. Like, I don't know. Do you, does that quote make you (laughs) that idea? Do you relate to it at all? Well, I am a Christian. Mm -hmm. And so I, I love the idea of being inspired by, you know, um, whatever is divine. I don't feel that when I'm painting or that there's some special direction or, or anything like that. Um, but I also don't believe that those two things are mutually exclusive. I think even if there is some sort of calling or some sort of divine divinely inspired purpose you're still responsible you know I mean it's sort of like similar to the idea of talent uh, being mm-hmm. born with some sort of talent or some sort of gift mm-hmm. and while that's all great and beautiful and I do believe it to a certain extent there's no amount of talent that um, you could just ride 
into success, you're mm-hmm. still going to have to work. So um, I would, I'm much more interested in the idea of developing skill than mm-hmm. I am hoping to find some sort of um, talent mm-hmm. or, or special gifting. Gotcha. And I say all of that being a, you know, a Christian and believing in God and believing mm-hmm. that people are called uh, to do things. And, and I, I derive a great deal of uh, joy from believing that and, and um, think it's quite beautiful. Um, but <clears throat> at least when it comes to actually doing the work and, and figuring out what I am adding to society or what I'm adding to the culture or making how I'm making my mark on the world, so much of that seems to be prevalent or, or, or uh, um, seems to rely on whether or not I put in the effort to develop the skill. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have ideas and you can have um, all these wonderful, uh, grand kind of... Inspiration. Yeah, but you, you're still going to have to figure out what the fundamentals are and how to become skillful at those fundamentals. And mm-hmm. I think I've given more of myself to that. And that's why the work has warranted a following or seems to, you know, um, make its mark. Um, the other thing is, and this would kind of go along with what we were talking about earlier, uh, I think of art and painting, but all kinds of art as a a language, Hmm. a means with which we communicate. And so for an artist, there's this kind of overwhelming sense of this is how I communicate. And so you just sort of be an artist because this is the way that you are communicating how you feel Hmm. and then um that also you know answers the other question that i think that you are putting yourself in into it you're expressing yourself and your own ideas and thoughts and feelings Mm -hmm. not just some you know outside force directing you you're not just completely like a receiver of some other right like you're yeah like you're a uh, conduit right you know which again is a wonderful idea but even even as far as my idea of god goes i believe that um he's so vast and so rich and and multi-layered that it would take all of these individuals to express who he is mm-hmm. so there's there's still that sense of individuality that that like you are uniquely you and i am uniquely me mm-hmm. and even if we're all attempting to express god the, a bigger picture of who and and what he is um it's it's still an individual i don't know some sort of individual thing mm-hmm. you know that's involved so right i don't know it sounds weird but i think that makes sense I'm wondering, like, for, I don't know, maybe someone that hasn't gone to, like, an art museum before or very much, like, why go? Like, why spend any time on this? I mean, you are dedicating, like, so much of your life and so much of your time to creating art. Like, of all the things that one could pick to do in life, it sounds like for you it wasn't really a choice. It was just the natural way you were going to be. But mm-hmm. why is it important to our world? Like, why go to a gallery ever? Well, well, that's an interesting thought because in some cases, um, I want people to go to museums and galleries, but I would want them to do so cautiously Hmm. only because it's like going to a university and everyone walk away from it graduating thinking that they're a free thinker (laughs) and most of those that I encounter are not so much free thinkers as they are repeaters of Uh free thinkers you Mm -hmm. know they've memorized certain things or they had a professor that was intelligent enough to Mm. express an idea and they adopted it and they feel as though they're a free thinker I think the same thing happens when one goes to a museum hmm. uh, that that it can become a little bit like um, indoctrination and instead of there's so I mean there's so many things we can talk about this there's not enough time but um, 
you know, museum, you walk into a museum assuming that everything on the wall is important and they will tell you it's important, hmm. but they never necessarily tell you why it's important. And they're not necessarily as interested in helping you create an opinion for yourself as much as they are in getting you to keep what they have. To see their opinion. So that it remains valuable. Gotcha. Yeah. So then how are people supposed to take in art at a place like that? So they should still so they should still make use of those institutions Mm -hmm. and they should still go but they should be open minded. Everyone should think critically. Yeah. This is true of life. You should always ask why. You should always research. You should Mm -hmm. always see everything that's out there or as much of it as you can before you form an opinion or before you take someone else's opinion as your own. Mm-hmm. Um, does that make, make sense? Yeah. So. Yeah, I, it sounds like you're saying those places of viewing art are maybe too structured. and They're very valuable. Like I just, uh, yeah. in recent conversations we've been having kind of about some of the, some of the mistakes that are happening because I mean, there's just not enough time to talk about all of it. So <laughs> go to the museums, go to the art galleries, but really engage with other artists if you can. Hmm. Um, meet, meet the artists, see what they're about, read, read about it. Just get a variety of, of information. It's important because it is a language. There's someone trying to communicate something to you, mm-hmm. someone trying to show you something. It's like, you know, why, you know, why is language important? Yeah. Well, yeah. no one questions that. It's just so obvious that it's important. Well, this is just another means of communicating. Hmm. So, to me, it's obviously important, but I guess that doesn't mean it's so to everyone else. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, I feel like I'm talking a lot. But I'm also very hungry. That's the point of a podcast. <laughs> and so I, I'm getting Shall we like, break for a pizza? Yeah. Okay. BRB. Okay. What do you love most about Tyler? Ready, set, go. Oh, <laughs> the piano playing hands or the organ playing hands, definitely. The expressiveness yeah. when he's How talking. Long you been also, How long I have you like, known about this? Oh, about I think I've only, I mean, I've seen it for a long time, but I've only uh, pointed it out now. Like, I think I've only really put it into words now. Like, today, I guess. Mm. But obviously, I've seen it. Like, I think if I were ever going to imitate you, I probably would have recalled it and put it into, you know. Into action. Yeah. Sweet. Verbalized it. I, I have this concern of people imitating me. Like, you, you know how you always, it seems like in a group, there's a friend that can imitate people. <laughs> yeah. Or do really good impersonations. And then I'm always concerned that, like, oh, God, I hope that they're not going to. What are they going to do for me? Uh, I don't want to see it. <laughs> Because they're they're going to choose the they're going to exaggerate the things that stand out the most, hmm. so it's going to be the most awkward thing. Yeah, know. yeah. the most like, um, yeah, the most standout thing. Right, the think. obvious things that they can that you exaggerate. Might not love. So if it were me, it would I'm sure just turn out to sound like a really pretentious jerk who <laughs> waves his hands a lot as he talks. Tyler's back as I asked the question about fave thing about Tyler um I have been wondering this if you well okay two things besides painting what do you like to spend your time on I Um, love television yeah yes okay like old school television or like Netflix or just TV shows no I love the idea of watching television like for some reason because it seems like the rest of my life is so serious and Hmm. it's perceived as so beautiful and everywhere I seem to go you know I'm treated well and you know it's all art all this high Hmm. highly esteemed stuff and so when I go home and I can sit on my couch and watch television I just it feels really good yeah yeah an indulgence that's just like kind of mindless even if it's something that I is is very engaging. I mean, I want to watch something engaging, but I um, I don't know. I just like this idea of... Hmm. It's like an ultimate, television. like, putting it all down. Like, you don't have to do anything yeah. when you're watching TV. Yeah, really. even if I am doing something else and I just turn the TV on for something, yeah. for some reason, it is a guilty pleasure. Cool. Yeah. What are you watching right now? That's the thing. Uh, currently, I'm not... 
following much of anything, so it'll be reruns. I love witty comedy. I love the sitcoms from the 90s, like <laughs> Frasier and Seinfeld. I think that they're just brilliant. <coughs> I also love certain... Um, there have been certain science crime-based shows I've really liked. Fringe was one of my favorites. Numbers hmm. was another real, you know, real favorite. Um, just finished up. Uh, if if it's a good, interesting series, uh, I'll have my parents over, mm-hmm. and we'll do not movie night, but like TV night, and we'll get Chinese food, uh, or I'll cook something. And so we just finished up Man in the High Castle. Oh, oh nice. yeah, is that more yeah, political? Yeah, so I think it's. Hmm? Is that like more of a political well, related it's, show? Well, uh, it's from a Philip Dick book written in oh, the sixties. And it's an alternate reality based nice. on uh, it's in a in a world where World War Two ended mm-hmm. differently uh, mm. for them than you know for us, and oh, so yeah. it's as though it's the world as though Japan and Germany won World right. War Two. So it's fascinating. It's pretty slow developing, but for us, we we loved it, and it was a great way of of. You know, it's a great way of having them over because I mm. get along with my parents really well, and we just kind of enjoy like that. That's our mm-hmm. thing, you know. That's cool. Yeah, Philip Kiddick was Blade Runner, so he's like thinking of different ways that the future could play out, right? Or Who? he wrote Philip Dick. Yeah, he yeah, wrote like yeah. um, "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep," which was the right inspiration for Blade Runner. Right, right, yeah. right. Yes, I, I leaped. Yeah, and frogged over yes, that and that's sort of I don't know. There's something about that genre of uh, that genre written in that particular era mm-hmm. you know um when was isaac asimov was he a little bit earlier but although all those guys they were like the, the great sci-fi writers before it was all television and mm-hmm. movies and and what we have today mm. tired no, no over there no <laughs> so i was gonna say because we brought up about that first trip um yeah. And so here's this, at the time he looked very much like a kid. You have to imagine, and I have pictures I will show you later, of um, him completely shaven and short hair, and he looks like he's 19. And and so there were really kind of fun little (laughs) memories that I have of that trip, one of which was I took him to one of my favorite restaurants in Carmel, which was a, a pretty nice restaurant, and it's Italian, and it's not like it's really weird. Are you trying to raise your other eyebrow <laughs> over there? <laughs> and anyway, so we're just I'm just looking at the menu. I'm having a good time. I'm in my favorite restaurant. And then finally, after all this time, he, he's like, Dan, I don't even know what any of this says. <laughs> and it was so, I don't know, it was kind of adorable because he just... I mean, it was just names of pasta. It wasn't mm-hmm. like written in Chinese or something, but he he just didn't know what it what it meant, what it said. Yeah. And I always remember that fondly. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Just a little Montana boy. Right. Going to right. California. Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I just think of a really cool friendship story when I think of you two, and the, oh. I don't know. Yeah, the the. Maybe that's because it was my first introduction to the both of you. It was like that show yeah. where you shared that story yeah. of your friendship. But yeah, like I was saying earlier, I think it's it's sort of less common to make close friendships when we're older. Like I feel mm. like those things get cemented mm. when we're kids or in college or something, but that it's like special that, you know, one person reached out and one person said, right. okay, and right. kind of like saw where it went. I think it was a big step for both of us, yeah, because for him having the courage to reach out to someone who he felt was established mm-hmm. and further along in, a, you know, career, art, and all of that yeah. sort of thing. But then I felt really brave for... for Except... Yeah, for doing it, because I never did anything like that. Just yeah. the idea of being with a stranger, going on a trip with a stranger, <laughs> totally out of my comfort zone. And so I'm glad that we, I feel that we were both kind of brave in our own way. And then there's just been these ingredients that have been part of the mix that I think have held things together. Because we've certainly had 
ups and downs. We were talking about it earlier. Yeah. Uh, I have come to appreciate him more than, you know, lots of other people in my life simply for the fact that he has, um, I've told him this many times, he's called me out on certain hmm. behavioral things that because I didn't grow up with friends, there were many things that I, lessons that I never learned Yeah. where relationships are concerned. And so he would, he, I think he just would get irritated with me for, with certain things and then he'd call me out on it and I'd, I would, you know, of course get defensive or feel like I was being attacked, but I would, you know, look in on inward Mm -hmm. and realize that he's right and it would help me to grow and I've helped him to grow in various ways. And then I think also working together has been a really big factor too. Just being able to feed each other ideas and have this business that he started that I can contribute to. Yeah. And like he said, it's, it, we're, we're, we're like business partners, so to speak, unofficially, but just like this, you know, that has also been a really big, big part of it that I, mm-hmm. I appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that first time like could have gone very yeah. differently. Like you might not have connected at all. But right. Right. It yeah. worked out and that was years ago. Right. Like, mm-hmm. so yeah, kind of big thing. That's exciting. Um, Dan, you said that. Um, well, one, I want to second what you what you said there about that you've been uh, instrumental in helping me to grow as well, and and Daniel very much has been what I would consider the closest thing to a partner mm-hmm. in the gallery over the years. But uh, to transition. Earlier, you were saying, like, oh, you know, I kind of want to ask you some questions, Claire. So I was wondering if maybe... Well, I think, I mean, they would just maybe. have been pretty general because we only met the other night. Right. So, I mean, it, they'd be kind of basic to start. I mean, I don't know anything about you, so I wanted to know what your siblings are and what your job is and, you know... Um, what your shoe size, all of that stuff. <laughs> Eight and a half. It's the number of siblings I have. No, I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> it's my shoe size. <laughs> I have three younger siblings. And I, yeah, I feel like we got Three into, younger, so you're the three oldest. Three younger, so I'm the oldest. Four. Yeah. Okay. Um, Addison is two years younger. He's the accountant. Dane is six years younger, and he's also studying finance. And then my little sister Amy is nine years younger than me. Wow. And... So my two brothers, like, pursued finance. My mom and dad were both in business. Um, My mom in sales and my dad in, like, I've literally asked him his job description, like, yearly for the past 20 years. I don't (laughs) know. But he, like, roughly, like, buys computer memory. He buys memory. I don't know. He's worked for HP for a long time. That is so But the point is, is, like, my family are all very business-oriented in some way or another. And then my sister Amy and I are like, we're going to pursue art. Like, I was like... I studied environmental studies and English in college and she is heavy into theater and she's really good at it. Um, So that's kind of fun that uh, our family has a lot of variety in it. Um, And her being nine years younger feels, I feel sometimes like an aunt or a a Mm -hmm. mom role Mm -hmm. as much as a sister role because it's it's like a decade of difference. That's quite common. Um, Yeah. So most of them are in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Right now, um, yeah, and, my yeah. my family is the same way, but partly I suppose because there can, uh, as far as artists go in my family, <laughs> there can only be one. Oh, so and it's your, it's you. It's me. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. plot twist. How many siblings do you have? I have an older brother, an older sister who uh, was adopted mm-hmm. later. Uh, when we were teenagers, and a younger sister, so nice. also four. But yeah, yeah so you're a middling child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I was going to ask. Um, so, what were your interests as a child? I was really good at spelling. Mm-hmm. I won the spelling <laughs> wow. bee a couple times. I have a plaque from it. In sec- I won it in second grade. Wow. The Northern Parochial, so all the Catholic schools. Okay. And I. Was in second grade, but we got up to ninth grade level spelling. Do you remember what your spelling. word was? I don't, but I know oh. that 
way up there was moccasin. Okay. Which I think is two C's and two S's. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Okay. But um, we like went into overtime. Like it was myself and this one like redheaded kid and he uh, and I just were like back and forth, back and forth. And I finally beat him. And so that was like, I just always have liked words mm-hmm. and read a lot. My mom like jokingly gave me a challenge to read all the books in our house by the time I was in fourth grade. And I remember like getting through all of the kid books in the playroom and then going into her office and staring up at like the top shelf of her bookcase and seeing Moby Dick that was like, you know, two inches wide. I was like, I'm not going to finish that. Like I thought I would. And then fifth grade passed and I was like, I never read Moby Dick. Damn it. Like I didn't finish the challenge of reading all the books in the house. But um, that was okay because I wouldn't have caught any of the you know, importance of that story, mm. right? To have read it when I was 10. Um, have you but read it since? I have read it since. I read it, probably should have read it when I was 10 because when I ended up reading it, I, it was freshman year of college for a philosophy class. Yeah. And we took, I think the last like three weeks of the quarter on that book. And, you know, like, met several times a week to talk about the book and like read it several chapters at a time but I neglected those like weekly assignments and I didn't read the whole book until our essay on it was due so like we had an eight page essay due on Moby Dick I hadn't read like more than 10 pages and so I read the whole thing and wrote an eight page essay on it on like two and a half days so I just remember being like shot in a very small corner of the library and like reading the entire book and writing eight or so pages on it it was not a good essay mm-hmm. but i should give moby dick it's due i should read that book again because i, I read it in a very rushed way that i was think not it's good one of those that it's i don't know why it's I, so I need to research why it's important yeah why it's considered one of the classics or it's persisted as mm-hmm. one of the classics because i don't know that i know anyone who likes it it's really? sort of yeah. Have you read it yourself too? I, I started to, and, and yeah, I, yeah. I like the classics. I mean, I, I've read lots of Charles Dickens and mm-hmm. Dostoevsky and the, you know, these guys that are super long-winded. Yeah. Um, but I, and I have Moby Dick. I have a copy of it, but um, I read Call Me Ishmael and that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's about, I mean, maybe it would connect to y'all or, I mean anyone with a driving force in their life, like, but y'all as artists with some thing obsession. that you pursue, some obsession. Yeah. 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 But I, yeah, can't really tell you because I well, don't retain the interesting thing about much. the classics, and this, this is true, I mean, this would be a similar thing with art. Why the classics have persisted, I, th- I feel that some perhaps because they are worthy, but others because they, you know, for another random reason yeah you know because of who owned the rights to them and who decided to market them more true true, true. not necessarily because they of are the content being worthy so of being amongst the greatest yeah. books of all time that's right and there were definitely certain voices and certain people that like controlled publishing and only certain people that were allowed to be published right. just like just like other mm-hmm. areas of art or and history like yeah. only certain voices were right melville himself i don't think during his lifetime ever uh, saw the success of his own work. Mm. Much like somebody like Van Gogh. Mm-hmm. But I think from what I remember about the class I took where we had to read Moby Dick, it's that Melville was actually ahead of his time in terms of, like almost you could call him a proto a proto existentialist. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because he's because he's dealing with this like guy who's relentlessly pursuing this thing that he that he thinks if only I get this thing then mm-hmm. I'll be happy, mm-hmm. which is very much a theme of existentialism. Right. right. My criticism of the classics and not that book specifically, but just the like I said the randomness that all of the variables of why something persists or why it you know it, it's always added to a group like the most important books of all time. Um, but that, that were there no other books at that time 
or no other books that are better than that. It's just that this one happens to be mm -hmm. promoted the most. And, and of course, we're going to read all of this stuff into it. My, my thing is, is always about being a critical thinker and just, mm -hmm. did you like the book or not? Did it mean anything to you or not? Apart from what anyone else's opinion about, you know, about it is. Um, I, I would think that something like Moby Dick, it, it matters in, like, it matters in the time yeah. that it was written. And it might not, it might not matter to us anymore, right. but like when it started to take hold, there was a reason for that. Mm -hmm. Right. There was <clears throat> a lot of what I came across in my literature classes was, I cannot, there's probably a term for it, but the idea of literature reflecting the historical context is like an obvious one. But yeah, what, what was this work saying about the time in which it was written? Like what were people worried about at yeah. that time? Like that's why, um, you know, Victorian literature talks about, like, the undead, things coming back to haunt you, the idea that if you bury something, it will come back and get you. Like, mm -hmm. it's better to just face the thing than to try and bury it. Hmm. Um, and so, like, vampires and zombies were a big part of that era. And as I'm saying that now, I can't remember the exact like historical context for all that but you know like it, it speaks to a fear of the era like yeah there I, was when the incredibles came out superhero movies were a big thing for us in american culture at that time because we were looking for someone to kind of like help like superhero themes are when a country feels they need someone to save them so like it it speaks to like the discourse of the nation or the culture at the time largely. how old were you when the incredibles came out I think I was like nine or ten, oh, but okay. I don't know. Okay. We're not that far. What apart. year were you born? Ninety-two. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. What? Eighty-six. Eighty-five. Eighty-five. Yeah. I know. It's just so weird, though. Like the nineties, like people being born in the nineties, or now. I mean, someone born in nineteen ninety-nine is twenty years old. Yeah. That's just. I remember 1999. I, you know, I don't know. It's just yeah. You were a teenager. You got like a more full experience of the 90s than I did. Yeah, like, not I was, like five not as much, like I look back on the 90s and I think, gosh, I wish I were an adult in the oh, 90s. Oh really? Oh yeah. Like, don't you just watch, you know, the sitcoms and stuff, and like that's before mm. everyone had a cell phone, but everyone was going to coffee shop and the internet oh. was a thing. But like, I don't know. It looked like fun. Yeah. And you would get to wear, like, the neon... Well, you get to basically suits. wear what you're wearing now. I mean, the <laughs> 90s, as far as fashion is, is concerned, the latest fashion is 1990s fashion. Kiss your mm -hmm. We need you coast, coastal people to bring that in to Montana. Well, you guys usually <laughs> take about 10 years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm that. just getting... Throwing you, my V-necks out. Right. <laughs> Have yeah. you heard of Rihanna? Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. There's a lag. There's a big lag. <laughs> but no, that's real. Riri. <laughs> oh yes. I I it it I often um, put on shine bright like a diamond. Actually. <laughs> no, but that's part of the fun of Montana, I guess. Or mostly small town Montana is feeling like it's a place that's back in time. Like it does not really matter. In well, a town of several thousand, what you wear, or like it doesn't. Well, know. it doesn't seem outdated as much as it seems individual and um, just utilitarian. I mean, everything mm. is it's it's useful. It, you're you're less concerned, especially in the winter, less concerned <laughs> about fashion than you are about not freezing to death. You know, yeah. so there's a there's a certain product that's marketed to you because it's useful so when i'm here i don't i don't look around and think god you know everyone looks so outdated i no, just think yeah. everyone looks appropriate for where you are yeah and i do feel like i stand out when i wear certain <laughs> things um i feel like i don't know people look at me like i'm from la or something <laughs> Normally, because your baseball cap says L.A. Right, right. <laughs> You're not from here, are you? Um, yeah. Well, we're at an hour eight here. Yeah. 
You want to round this thing out? Yeah, unless you do. I think now, like, most of my questions are probably questions that Daniel's been asked before that are about, like, being an artist and, you know, why spend time on, like, what does art do for us, art and painting? Um, So... It's a good thing to, that's, you know, that's a good question to ask because we should imagine a world where it doesn't exist or try to imagine a world where art is not a part of it. People think that it has nothing to do with them if they're not artists. I mean, the mm-hmm. average person thinks that, well, that's not really my thing. Um, and they have no idea of just how far-reaching art is into their lives and they're you know they're completely unaware of it mm-hmm. uh if you were to take out art i mean spend a day with no art hmm. no music of any kind no writing yeah. creative writing you know even everything around it even what you're wearing was <laughs> created by an artist um i always think of that soliloquy god forbid i'm referencing the devil wears prada where meryl streep her character just kind of lays into Anne Hathaway's character because she kind of, you know, giggles at something. And, and Meryl Streep's character is like, oh, oh, you think this has nothing to do with you? Because hmm. we're we're laboring over the slight difference of mm. color of this belt. She says, this thing that you fished out of the clearance bin that you obviously got what you're wearing from, she said, it started in this room. Hmm. It started with an artist who designed something and we selected it for a feature and we put it together, you know, we put these artists' work, their ideas, their concepts together. It made its way from the designer down to all the way down to the little thing that you fished it out of, you know, kind mm-hmm. of a thing. And you think this has nothing to do with you. It's a really amazing, I mean, for a silly movie that it is, it's a really interesting thought or outlook. And I feel right. the same way about art. You know, everything that you have, every, it's designed. Mm. Someone creative didn't just invent it there. There was someone that came in and designed it so that it's appealing to you. Every label, the sofa, the the houses that you live in, the cars that you drive, all of that was designed. So imagine a world where none of that exists. Yeah. And then see if it's important to you or not. That is fascinating. Like, no person can walk through a day without... Like, imagine turning on a radio... But there's no music. Even the talk shows, like even if you were mm-hmm. only going to listen to NPR in a day, there's a story segment that's curated. There's like thought and design put into just about everything. Yeah. I feel like it would be like a, a gray cubic world. And even that has design to it. <laughs> like, well, yeah. I mean, essentially, if you could narrow it down, it would be some kind of gray, you know. I mean, you still have nature and, and yeah. you know, but... Um, Art calls attention to it, mm-hmm. and it uses it to infuse what we appreciate about nature into smaller things, and I don't know. I think something that Clyde Aspavig mentioned in his talk this last year at the Yeltsin Art Museum was that I think that they have found cave paintings that predate uh historical evidence of agriculture Mm -hmm. so he always reminds his farmer friends because he's friends with a lot of farmers like you know art predates agriculture (laughs) and that i mean just just today i can't remember what we were what we were looking at but art really can be the thing that drives that really does transport a person all across the world to Mm -hmm. go see the statue of david Mm-hmm. That was something that we talked about, like when we had the Yellowstone show. Mm-hmm. That the parks here in in the states, I think Pete mentioned somebody had written how the parks are our cathedrals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, you know when I when I thought about that in in comparison to when we were in Italy, it's like I traveled all the way across mm-hmm. the world to see David and the Duomo and Mm -hmm. Venice. Right. And so really it's art. And and you think of especially Florence and the pieces of art that 
that David has left there and how much economy is created because of that mm-hmm. for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. It really does start yeah, but and, But even for someone who's never going to travel to Italy, you know, or somewhere where there's some great piece of art, everyone's life has been touched by it in some way or is affected by it or infused with it. Because, you know, artists are involved in everything. I mean, somewhat to manipulate you to buy a product that looks a certain way, but some of it to enrich your life. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, to me, it's a means of communicating and no one questions speech. No one questions the value, the usefulness, the necessity of language. Well, it's another language. It calls attention to something. It gives you a sense of what, you know, an idea, uh, a concept, you know, um, gives you hope or gives you an emotive response, makes something pleasurable. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's in everything. It, it, um, not everybody sees it, but they don't even have to. It's, it's everywhere. Yeah. I feel like Tyler closes a lot of his podcasts or like it's at least a big part of this Lonely Painter one that a lot of your work is to make the world a little less lonely. Do you have a, a guiding phrase like that? Like your work is too... Do anything in particular? Well, I, we've talked about this before, and I think um, it comes from someone who, from whom I've learned a lot. Um, Richard Schmidt talks about elevating the ordinary, mm. and that's sort of the def- it. It's the uh, thing that separates the art of t- today a little bit from art of the past. The things that were art was primarily. Uh, commissioned by religious institutions and it was that that idea of it coming from the divine and you know Mm -hmm. that sort of thing or people with money right make it right and so it has become less about that and more about just the everyday you know the the things that um are accessible to everyone and Mm -hmm. so i i particularly like that because of the subject matter that i choose to me you know roses it's it's humble it's simple Mm -hmm. and yet it's you know, um, glorious to me. And so calling attention to that is mm-hmm. particular, I think, to, um, I don't know, the how, how I feel about those things, but also how I feel about life and mm-hmm. uh, the world. So, um, yeah, elevating the ordinary, which we I talked about um, during Bridge, with the, yeah. like you had mentioned. So I think, I think that's it for me. Yeah. Great. Had a super cliche phrase, but like you stop and paint the roses. <laughs> <laughs> I stop and smell them from time to time. Excellent. Yes, well, keep up the rose joke. <laughs> uh, Tyler, anything else you're thinking of? I always end it with be good to yourselves. Just because that's what my dad says when I'm right leave his place oh that's sweet thanks for listening and we'll be back next week so we're gonna do cocaine now right? <laughs> <laughs>